Hello, I'm Kate Chabot. Welcome to an extra edition of SITREP. The role of British Army Sergeant Major was only introduced seven years ago. Warrant Officer Class 1, Paul Carney, works alongside the head of the Army, the Chief of the General Staff, and describes his role as representing the views of our soldiers. So who is the man that keeps the top brass in touch with the experiences of the men and women of the army? He's been telling James Hurst about his own journey through the army, how plans to shrink the service may affect his fellow soldiers, and how his own family's experience of sexual harassment informs his mission to change army culture. I'm primarily the, the senior soldier in the British army. Um, and that comes with a, a number of things, but in a similar relationship that the RSM of a battalion has with their CO, I have that same relationship with CGS, so the head of the army. And it allows me to basically speak truth to power and ensure that our soldiers and our officers are represented at the highest level. So you're the most senior soldier in the British Army, effectively. I am, yes. And in that role of speaking truth to power, to being the voice of all the other soldiers in the army. What are your current priorities? What are you telling the Chief of General Staff needs to be looked at for his soldiers? So for me at the moment with the increased cost of living is a concern that our soldiers have enough to be able to look after themselves. They've had the training and access to the assets to be able to look after themselves. Um, but also ensuring that the offer is what we, we kind of sell to our people. So good accommodation, the ability to deploy overseas, the ability to experience different nations when they do deploy overseas, and uh, being able to train and deliver what we expect of them. We'll talk a bit more about the big army-wide uh, issues that you have to deal with, but let's, let's hear a bit more about you. What's your background an experience to, to get you to, to be qualified as the voice of the ordinary soldier? So um, I'm a Royal Engineer by background and, and I think I wanted to be a Royal Engineer from, from when I was about eight years old and I saw explosives going off and uh, saw armoured engineer vehicles laying bridges. So, um, so I was born to be a soldier, I always wanted to be one. And I've had a career spread around the world and somewhat of my sort of era, time in Iraq and Afghanistan and the Balkans. And, um, and I'm, I'm a classic soldier. I haven't done all things right. I've messed up throughout my career and I've done things wrong. But what I have found and what has probably helped get me where I am is that I've always owned up to my failures and then hit them head on and, and try to fix them. I, um, I finished sort of my normal soldiering career as the RSM of 2-2 Engineer Regiment, which is an armoured engineer unit. And then I uh, moved on to become the, the Free Div Sergeant Major, just as the first Army Sergeant Major had uh, started. So really started right at the front end of this journey of developing senior Sergeant Majors that work alongside our generals at two, three and four star level. We're here in your offices at Army HQ. How much of your time do you spend here and how much do you get out to see people across Britain and around the world doing the soldiering? I'm lucky if I spend one day, and it's usually Monday to get through the emails, to, to ask the questions and to do all the meetings that I need to do in Army headquarters. Other than that, the rest of the time is on the road. 
Um, and I, I try to make sure that I spread myself far and wide because I'm, I'm really aware that I'm, I'm in my mid-40s now and to represent soldiers that are 18, 19 years old, I need to spend time with them and I need them to be honest with me. So I'm, I, when I go to visit units, I'm not there to see stands and all that um, sort of rehearsed and, and built-in uh, visits that generals get to see. I'm there to go to the NAFI, go to the brew area and sit down and chat to soldiers. To talk to people, not to, to, to see things. Exactly that. And so kind of one of the points of the Army Sergeant Major and the Command Sergeant Majors as well is to do exactly that, is to take the burden off the unit but allow them to have a voice at the, to the higher echelons. What, what can people expect if there's a, a visit from you in the diary? Because I think some people might, might, might see your name in the diary and be a little nervous. I love doing PT uh, with units. Army headquarters isn't renowned for, for uh, the opportunities that you get at unit level. So I've done a lot of uh, equipment races since I've been in this <laughs> job. And, and that's great. People talk during those times and you get to see that team spirit that we love seeing in the army. But um, again, it's, it's about spending time with people. I don't want to just see the top third soldiers because they've got future RSMs in the making. I want to see everyone. And so that's important. We're an army of diverse thinking, diverse people. And if I get all the top thrusters, then I'm only going to get one point of view. And, and it's really important that I just get the opportunity to sit down, understand their issues, because every unit experiences something different. You are, though, part of the Army's very top team, the Chief of General Staff's team, and it's an Army that is undergoing transformation, delivering the reshaped set-outs in the integrated review. What is your role in that transformation process? So um, as the Army moved into Future Soldier and then we saw, saw uh, Russia um, attack Ukraine uh, and CGS changed in that time, Mine's predominantly about getting down again, predominantly to that junior and senior NCO level and ensuring that they're aware of the changes that are, uh, are going to be made. And I say I, I don't own anything, but I can influence a lot. So for me, it's about um, getting our junior NCOs delivering training again. And almost uh, one of the best things I think I've seen is Op Interflex, where we're training the Ukrainian army, um, is great to see our junior NCOs again on the ground delivering training because that's what I, I used to do when I was a young junior NCO. But during the Iraq and Afghan period when we were losing soldiers, we needed to professionalise that training and I think there's an element that we kind of forgot what we were doing there. So while soldiers are delivering training for Ukraine, which is in a war, they're also going through this Future Soldier program, having to understand the changes. How big are the changes of Future Soldier for the average NCO or private even? So I, I think at soldier level, there's, there's less of a difference. A soldier will soldier, an engineer will, will engineer, and, and medics will medic. And uh, at the lower levels, there's less of a direct impact. What they will see, though, is, is the changing shape of their organisation, of their battalions. There's some battalions that are, are, are massive and they're going to slim down to, to take on uh, different roles. And we see different vehicles coming in. So again, that changes how they deliver on the ground. Our armoured infantry units currently operate out of a tracked vehicle, the Warrior, um, but they'll be moving to the, the Boxer vehicle, which is a wheel vehicle. So 
their tactics are going to have to change and they'll see some differences there. I mean, you talk about slimmed down units. Are you concerned that's going to be more pressure on individuals? I'm always worried that we're, we'll overwork our workforce because it can be tempting. We're in an easy organisation to go to. And we've seen that during COVID when our soldiers were, were helping support the NHS. Um, we're supporting the borders at the moment. Um, and it can be easy for us to be overworked. I think under Op Mobilise and the concentration on delivering a unit, uh, delivering an army that can deploy and operate and warfight is, is where we're at. But we do need to be careful that we don't overwork our workforce. And is that something you feed up, presumably? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a careful balance of um, good busy and bad busy. Soldiers want to be out. They want to be operating. They want to be deployed either on exercises or operations. They don't want to be stuck sweeping vehicle bays, um, four people working on a single vehicle when it only needs one. So it's making sure that, that they're doing the work that they kind of joined up to do and feel like that they're having an impact. One of the highest priorities given to your boss, the Chief of General Staff, is driving out unacceptable behaviours. This follows a, a, a number of difficult headlines for the army. The Defence Secretary wants to drive out unacceptable behaviour at all levels. What's your role in delivering that? Well, I think, I think firstly, it's, it's that leading by example. It's ensuring that our, our units act in the ways that they should and calling out that bad behaviour. We have a lot of good people and it's those couple of bad eggs that make the bad news stories. Now, that, mean, that doesn't mean that we should be sitting back and, and thinking that we've got everything sorted. It should always be one of our highest priorities. And part of my visits when I go round is to try and understand if that unit is, is uh, operating in that correct way. It's very easy in the job that I do that you go to a unit and you can sense if something doesn't feel right. You talk about you know, it being a couple of bad eggs, to, to use a phrase. There will be some women who say, no, this is a cultural problem, at least right, a cultural problem right through certain units, if not through the army. So, so I'd agree. I, my wife uh, served for 23 years, and, uh, and so I've lived this personally with her, and, and I can openly say it's horrible. And that is where people like myself, but throughout the whole chain of command, we need to be on top of this. We need to be calling it out every single step of the way. And we need to understand that sometimes this happens in little closed doors where people can't see what's happening and it becomes one person's word against another. I want to build a, a real trust in the chain of command that when something is going wrong, that people feel safe, that they can actually go and report that and that they'll be backed up and looked after. That mission set by the Defence Secretary was a year ago. How much progress do you think has been made in driving out unacceptable behaviours and how far is still to go? So, as I said before, you should always, you always have a way to go. We, we don't recruit angels and I, I think we, we need to acknowledge that and we have to embed our values and standards into people from day one. We need to be demonstrating and leading by examples. With regards to how far we're moving on, um, I, I was lucky enough to sit on an army board 
where we deliver to our ministers about the work that we've done. And I think they see that we're making the correct steps. When we talk about teamwork, we're not talking about just fixing a couple of things. We're talking about embedding that right culture into our people to do the right things on every single day. What is the greatest challenge in actually achieving this and, and changing the culture? I think for me, it's, it's about building that trust. It's about building that trust that when someone calls something out, that they're going to be listened to and something's going to be done about that. Because without that trust, people will keep themselves quiet, they will keep themselves tucked away and have a real impact on their mental well-being. If they have the trust to go to their chain of command and the trust that something's going to be enacted, then that creates an open environment and that's how we get after those bad apples that I talked about before. This is key to delivering one of the other targets that has been set for a far more diverse army. How is progress going in, in making the army more diverse in terms of gender, more diverse in terms of race, more diverse in terms of social outlook and, and, and experience? I think we're not moving quick enough. I think we, we continue to push. Um, we encourage STEM activities. We, we, uh, we target recruiting policies and we try to incentivize um, our, our recruiting agent capita to get those people in. But again, we need to be more open, I think, to society so society can see who we are. We're not people that get up at five o'clock in the morning and everyone's shouting at each other all the time. We're an organization that works together as a team. We, we work together, we live together, and we're always striving to, to make ourselves better. So I think there's this element of trying to get people to see who we are to bring them in. But the, uh, the army is not the same as living in civilian society, is it? And, and you know, to some people, they, they, they look at, at that mission and that drive for diversity and just go, well, it's, it's not, not necessarily going to deliver better operational effectiveness. So I think diverse teams do. I think we shouldn't drop our standards. We should always be the army that we are and we should expect those standards to be met. But actually, the, the diversity of thought that comes from uh, a different backgrounds, different experiences. So we talked about gender and we, we talked about race, but actually different socioeconomic backgrounds adds, adds another level of diversity in our organization and a different way of thinking. And that, for me, is what makes the army um, stand out from other armies around the world because we have that, that rich diversity in a whole host of areas, which means that we've got people that will come up with ideas that, that others would never have even thought about. Has, has the army maybe stuck itself in the past and, and actually not got in tune with you know, the, the, the teenagers who are the re potential recruits of the 21st century, how they dress, how they style themselves, whether they have a beard? So I, I wouldn't have expected anything less than a beard question, but, um, and it's, it's something that we need to look at. We do need to move on, and I regularly chat to my international allies as well and the changes that they make. So Canada, for example, have taken away all standards uh, with regards to facial hair, piercings, makeup, off the table now. And people worry about that, but in Canada's case, that's only really impacted 3% of their military population. I've really jumped on that. So I think we need to continue to have the discussions, we need to continue to modernize and, and stay in line with society. 
But we also need to remember we're a uniformed organisation. What we ask of our people is so much more than what many civilians will ever be asked of. You're, what, a year and a half into this job now? Yes. Yeah. How are you finding it? Was, is it what you expected? It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. As I said, I was, I was someone that wanted to join the army at eight years old. My, my wife thinks it's crazy that I wake up smiling every day. But, but to see how broad our military is, how, how different our army is, and how it does things so differently. And that's what I kind of see from my job is that I can go to one unit, a guards unit, and they're running their day-to-day -day business one way. And then I can go to an RLC unit and it's completely different. And no unit is any better or any worse. But I do think that what I've learned in this job is that we can learn so much more of, off of each other. And um, yeah, I, I live a day of sort of constant happiness. You always want to do more though. Do you, do, do, do you miss being where they are and doing what they're doing? I, I do. I, there's, there's times when I look out and it's rainy and it's wet and I'm, I'm, I'm not missing living under a poncho. Um, but but that, um, that being in small teams, that operating together, that, that sense of unknown, which I know some people don't like, but I actually really, um, really enjoyed when I was a young soldier about what was going to happen next. And, and again, I lived in an era of Afghanistan and Iraq, plenty of opportunities to deploy, plenty of uh, opportunities to do something different and, and have a real focus. And that's what I kind of wish for our soldiers. But, but yeah, if I could be 20 again, I'd, I'd do it all again. And when you get to the end of being the Army Sergeant Major, what's the, what's the one thing that you would like to be able to look back and say, I achieved that, I at least got that off the to-do list for the Army? So I'm doing some work at the moment in NCO education and development. So I think we have one of the best trained armies in the world. And if you take an infantry that's done senior bracken, there, there probably isn't another infantry across the world that can do the job as well as they can. But I think that as the world moves on, we become more digitally savvy and, and we're moving into the technological age. I think we owe our soldiers and our NCOs a bit more education. So we've taken some early steps in that. We've, we've now got a, a full colonel that is going to own our soldiers' education or our NCO's education. And I've got another year and a half to hopefully push that further along so that we have more educational opportunities, more opportunities for our soldiers to gain civilian qualifications and, and to build on the social mobility that we already sell as a, a real opportunity in the British Army. I'm Paul Carney. Thank you very much. No, thank you. This is Sidrep.